Uh, amen. Onward, Christian soldiers. Let's always be marching forward for the Lord. Amen. Somebody type in amen and send that to us, would you please? All right. With your Bible open in uh, Revelation chapter number 12. Chapter 12. We are going to be dealing with uh, a woman clothed with the sun. And so that's our subject this evening. We're going to be looking at this uh, very carefully. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our opportunity to study your word. And now, Lord, we pray your hedge of protection, please, around us as we preach and as we listen. We pray your hedge of protection, Lord, on the, the electronics, the um, uh, microphones, on the uh, computers, the Internet, all of the uh, uh, transmitting of this ministry. Lord, please keep it carefully protected. We pray for everyone's heart tonight. Lord, that you would please strengthen and increase the faith of your children. And we pray, Lord, that if there be one watching the broadcast, perhaps tonight or perhaps on a subsequent day, and they don't know Christ as Savior, Lord, help them to run to the cross before it's too late. And Lord, we'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Wow. The blowing of the seventh trumpet has pretty much marked the halfway point of the tribulation. And so three and a half years have gone by and the world has seen the rise of the Antichrist as well as wars and famines and much death. It has seen 144,000 Jewish witnesses get saved and they go all over the earth telling all about Jesus and salvation. Millions of people will have been saved by this point. Also, the two special Jewish witnesses have started and finished their three and a half year ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem. And I'm reminded of our Lord's three and a half year ministry while he was on earth. There seems to be an interesting parallel there. Also, in the three and a half years, the, uh, the climate, the weather of the world has changed drastically and caused some terrible uh, monstrosities, catastrophes to, be, to befall the earth, causing trillions of dollars of destruction and damage and loss, as well as the loss of lives of perhaps hundreds of millions of people. Hordes of demonic creatures have also attacked the unsaved people, and the unsaved blame God for it. The two special witnesses in Jerusalem will have had power to cause plagues upon the earth. The Antichrist has died, he's been killed, assassinated, and brought back to life by Satan. Antichrist then goes on to kill the two witnesses. But God raises these two witnesses from the dead and brings them up to heaven. Now the second half of the tribulation is about to begin. And the absolute worst is about to happen. Now in Revelation we are introduced here to two women. In the book of Revelation, there are two women that we are introduced to. One is good and one is bad. Here in Revelation chapter 12, we see the one that is good, clothed with the sun. And that's our subject for this evening, a woman clothed with the sun. Later in Revelation chapter 17, we'll see the other woman, the second woman, and she is the evil one, the bad one, clothed in scarlet and drunken with the blood of the saints. 
Now, before we go any further, I'm reminded of a similar principle that we have in Revelation, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 9. In Proverbs chapter 9, we're introduced to two women also. And one is good and the other is bad. And the good woman is called wisdom. And the bad woman is called foolishness, which essentially means going the way of the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Both women here in Revelation are religious. Now that's important to, to note, that both the women are religious, religious women. And uh, the good woman, her religion goes toward God. The bad woman, her religion goes toward the world, toward man, toward the Antichrist. And so we have these, these two women, Revelation chapter 12, the good woman represents Israel going toward God. Revelation chapter 17, we have the bad woman, and she represents, I believe, the one world religion. One world, someone call it, calls it the one world church, but the one world religion going towards the world, towards man, the supremacy of man, towards the Antichrist, and later the worship of the Antichrist. Now, I want you to note, um, I had given you chapter outline papers a long time ago, and they give you a chapter by chapter and sort of a little synopsis what's involved with each one. Um, from chapter 6 to chapter 19 is all about the seven years of the tribulation. But now we embark on chapter 12. And chapter 12 to chapter 15, verse 4. They're in these brackets or parentheses, I suppose, because this is a parenthetical section. The bus is pulled over again. The bus driver, our tour guide, gets up, turns around, and starts explaining a bunch of things to us, things that we need to know. And basically, he gives us an overview from the birth of Christ till about the end of the tribulation. And so this is what is given to us uh, in this parenthetical section. And so we begin chapter 12 and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now the first question people ask is, who is this woman? Who could she possibly be? Well, you go to a dozen different people, you might get a dozen different answers. But I'll give you a couple of them. If you went to the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church would teach you why the woman is Mary. Of course. And these verses uh, teach how she was taken to heaven in bodily form and she never saw death. And so they see themselves in there. Uh, Christian science, which is a cult. It's neither Christian nor is it scientific. But their founder, Mary Baker Eddy, she claimed that this woman was herself. Herself. And the man-child that's born is Christian science. Her cult religion. Um, some people say that it represents all believers from all ages. Other people will say it represents the church. And personally, I believe all of these are wrong. Because you see, you'll find a lot of the book of Revelation you'll find in the Old Testament. The symbols 
in the book of Revelation are pictured in the Old Testament. Now, I'd like to take you to Genesis chapter number 37. Turn there with me, please. Genesis chapter 37. And here we have Joseph and his dreams. And in chapter 37 and verse 9, here's Joseph. He's telling his dream. He said, uh, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. Now listen, watch this very carefully. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And so here you have that symbol right from Genesis chapter 37. And I believe that the, um, uh, the dream, uh, Joseph's dream identifies the sun, moon, and stars to be none other than the nation Israel. Now back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 2. And she being with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. I believe that this pictures the Jewish people from Abraham right through to Mary, the mother of our Lord, preparing to bring forth a man child. And that man child is Jesus. And by the way, you can look it up later, but in Jeremiah chapter three, verse six, Israel is pictured as being a woman. Another proof text for this. Now, verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Here we have the symbolic nature of Satan, a dragon, that huge, perhaps flying, perhaps fire-breathing serpent, speaks of his fierceness, his nature, fierce. He is He's red in color. Perhaps this refers to the uh, the blood that he is responsible for, perhaps from Cain unto the very last man's death. It says here that he has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. And I believe by comparing Scripture with Scripture that this relates to his government, especially through the Antichrist. In John chapter 12, verse 31, um, it says that Satan is the prince of this world. Now, we're going to get more into Satan later. We're going to study more about him later. For now, let's, let's look at verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, many people feel, many scholars feel that this refers to when Satan fell. When he lost his purity, he got into sin and he fell. In Isaiah chapter 14, we seem to have this. And that he drew a third of the angels with him. Uh, God said to Job in Job chapter 38 verse 7, he said these words, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of men shouted for joy. And so we have here that uh, idea of angels and stars. Uh, we have also in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, that it says 
the Satan was cast out. And look at the end of the verse. And his angels were cast out with him. You see that? So back to verse 4. And we pick up. It says, And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And again, we have the, uh, the analogy back in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. Pharaoh trying to destroy the Jewish boys. Satan has tried many times to destroy Israel and to destroy Jesus Christ. Um, I think that this would include Herod's slaughter of the innocents when Jesus was one or two years of age in Matthew chapter 2. I believe it may well also include Satan's attempt to, to tempt Jesus to throw himself off from the highest point of the temple in Matthew chapter 4. Perhaps also the numerous attempts by angry mobs to cast Jesus over a cliff, such as in Luke chapter 4. Perhaps also the storm at sea when Jesus was asleep on the pillow in Mark chapter 4 might also have been in the heart and mind of Satan to destroy Jesus Christ. And now we come to verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child. Here Israel brought forth her Messiah. Israel gave birth to Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now take your Bible and look to the book of Romans. Turn back to Romans, please, and chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, please look at verse 4 and 5. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Who are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. See that? Who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. And here the man-child is absolutely referred to as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came forth of Israel. Now, if you look back again, please, at chapter 12 and verse 4, we, we read on in verse 4, um, after it says, um, For devour her child as soon as it was born, and she brought forth a man-child, look, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. The rod of iron refers to the time when the Lord Jesus in the millennial kingdom will rule over all of the earth. And it's referenced back to Psalm uh, 2, the second Psalm in verse 9. But then the verse finishes here in verse 5. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so the Lord Jesus was caught up to God after his resurrection. We come now to verse 6. It says, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Now, in the chronology here, there's no mention of the 2,000 years of the church age, is there? Here we've got a parenthetical section from chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 15, verse 4. We're told here about uh, uh, the formation of Israel and Satan and his angels and the bringing forth of Christ and Christ is caught up to God. And all of a sudden now, we're talking about the woman fleeing into the wilderness. There's no mention of the church age. The church age fits between the ascension of Jesus Christ 
into heaven and his ruling in the millennial kingdom. The church age was totally unknown in the Old Testament. So Daniel goes right into the seven-year tribulation. And you'll see this in Daniel. If you look back there, please, I promised you that we'd be looking at some different scriptures. Daniel chapter 9. Chapter 9. While you're looking that up, I'm going to get a little drink from Siloam's fountain. We're good. Now, um, we have the 69 weeks of the prophecy of Daniel um, that takes us right unto the time when, um, let's see, Messiah the Prince, uh, and we're in verse 25, uh, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Here we go, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And then verse 27, we have Daniel's 70th week. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the seven-year tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. But um, here, in verse 26, we have Christ dying on the cross. Our Lord Jesus nailed to the cross. There's no mention here of the church whatsoever because Daniel didn't know anything about the church. He couldn't see it. His vision, his uh, prophetic uh, foresight he was able to look down the tunnel of time and see the coming of Messiah, Messiah's crucifixion. And then the next thing he sees then is this seven years tribulation. But there's a whole lot in between. A whole lot in between. And this, of course, is the church age that uh, Daniel was not able to see. And uh, so we come back to chapter 12 and verse number 6. And we pick up, um, let's see, and the woman fled into the wilderness, here we go, where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there, a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. And if you do the math, that's three and a half years. Three and a half years. You know, it's nothing for God. Three, to provide for uh, his people for three and a half years, there's nothing for God. God was able to provide for his people for 40 years in the wilderness, if you'll remember. God provided everything they needed. All of the clothes, their sandals didn't wear out, their foot didn't swell. God looked after them. He provided food. He provided water. He provided himself. That was the, bi the biggest and best provision is when he provided himself. But um, in Isaiah 33, Verses 15 and 16, it says God will feed them. Now, some think that, that God will lead the Jews to a place called Petra over there in the Holy Land. Petra, that ancient city carved out of pure rock. Some people think that this is where the Jews will hide for those three and a half years approximately. Others think that it might be in the areas of Edom and Moab and Ammon because Daniel 11 speaks of a great conflict in the tribulation led by the Antichrist 
and that these three areas escape his hand. Now, it's very interesting. Um, if, if you look, please, at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And again, folks, I want to remind you, when you're reading Matthew 24 and 25, please bear in mind that these chapters do not speak of the church age. They do not speak of these end times in which we live. These chapters speak of the tribulation time. These are Jewish by nature. In chapter 24 of Matthew, please look at verse 15 and 16. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, King David had to flee from Saul. And where did he go? He went into the mountains and into some desert area as well. I want to remind you folks that the Jews have always been a persecuted people. They've been hunted and persecuted. Pharaoh may have been the first to attempt their extermination. Haman, in the book of Esther, almost got his way and almost managed to destroy all the Jews. The Jews were constantly attacked by the Philistines, the Assyrians, the the Assyrians and the Syrians and the Babylonians and some others as well. In the last 1,000 years of Earth's history, I noticed that English, the, uh, the England banished them, um, as did Spain also. In France and Germany, they were blamed for the Black Plague. The Catholic Inquisition attacked the Jews in the name of Christ. Russia has persecuted the Jews. Adolf Hitler managed to kill just about 6 million of them. And these days, Iran and Syria and their neighbors are all trying to destroy Israel. But I'd like to remind you of something else, beloved. It's in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. And it refers to Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I want to ask you a question. We're going through hard times with this pandemic. And I would not begin to compare this suffering with what is to befall planet Earth in the coming days in the tribulation. But my question remains the same. Are you trying to live a godly life? Are you? That is important. That's more important now than it's ever been. That we live godly lives during this pandemic. And that's my question for you. Are you living a godly life? Are you suffering with your head held high toward heaven? With your knees bent in prayer? Are you suffering properly? Now this woman that we've been studying here in Revelation chapter 12. This woman wearing a crown. Actually reminds us of the crowns that Jesus will give. His faithful ones. Yes, the Bible says that there are crowns to be won. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is, a, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And that could be any day now. 
The New Testament talks of five different crowns that can be won by the believer. Will you be receiving a crown? Back in 1976, I had only been a Christian for one year. I was saved April the 6th, 1975. And the next year in 1976, with the World Olympics in Montreal, not far from where I was living in the city of Ottawa. And in the 1976 Olympics was a Japanese gymnast. His name was Shun Fujimoto. And Shun was competing in a team competition. And somehow during the floor exercises, he damaged his right knee badly. Some say he broke it. It was obvious to all reasonable observers that he would be forced to withdraw. But they did not reckon on the determination of this man, this true competitor. On the following day, Fujimoto competed in his strongest event, the rings. That's where they grab these rings and they jump and they flip and do all sorts of things. I watched the video footage. I wasn't there in 76 at the Olympics in Montreal, but I have watched the footage of Fujimoto as he competed, and he turned in a first-class performance. It was excellent. But right at the end of his performance came the most crucial point, and that was the dismount. And here was Fujimoto with basically a broken knee, and he had to do a big somersault and fancy dismount and bang, land on the ground. Now the video footage shows him sort of a little, a little uneasy, but he did not crumble, collapse, or fall. He stood his ground. And there was thunderous applause. Everyone knew the, the agony, the extreme pain that he was under when he competed. And yet he finished his course. And he won a gold medal. And in his own words, he said, the pain shot through me like a knife. It brought tears to my eyes. But now I have a gold medal and the pain is gone. Beloved, listen. One day the pain will be gone. One day the suffering will be over. One day all the fears, all the worries, all of the hardships, the difficulties will be behind us. And we'll stand in heaven. My question is, will you get a crown? Will you stand firm and tall and strong for Jesus these days? Will you do everything you can to live for him and serve him? So one day you'll get a crown. Let's bow our heads in prayer.